Welcome to the Trouble with the Snap podcast. I am Tyler Hayward, joined by Chris Stanton today. Uh, you can find us on, obviously, the Facebook page. Look up Trouble with the Snap podcast. Uh, be sure to comment on that. Get some interaction going there. Uh, you can obviously listen to us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Um, like I said, Chris is with me today. Jeremy is off doing some basketball stuff, some basketball training, which I'm sure is more successful than what is going on in the rest of the Mitten State regarding hoops. And so I'm in. Look, we're going to talk a lot about lineups today. Obviously, not baseball stuff because who cares? And everybody's locked down, anyways. But, uh, look, Michigan's had to make some changes to their lineup. Michigan State needs to make changes to their lineup. We'll talk about that. We're going to lead off with Michigan first uh, coming off. I don't want to say it's a big win against Rutgers because Rutgers is ultimately two different teams. You know, you got the team at the rack that is a top five team, maybe nationally, the way that they play. And then when they go on the road, they're meh. And so you beat a meh type team at home. But, and well, I don't want to say it was a big win. It was definitely one that you couldn't afford to lose. Definitely. I think you hit the nail on the head. And thanks for having me again. I, it's uh, It was kind of like the expectation this year was that Caleb Houston would come in as a, a stud recruit, light the world on fire, and he hasn't. But he sure showed up against Rutgers. Yeah, and, I mean, that that was one of the things I was curious to see how they were going to do that. You know, I expected to see a lot more of Brandon Johnson. Um, obviously, Houston slid into that power forward spot. Now, one of the things with uh, – with Rutgers is is all, all of a sudden you're not facing you know a typical a team with a typical four man and so I thought the matchup would still favor Rutgers in uh, some aspects um, you know you're not playing that I mean obviously the game's changing where there's stretch fours now all the time we can do the type of crap that Caleb Houston was doing but I thought you know you're you're not playing your typical Big Ten basketball team where, you know, it's easier to get your big switched and everything else. And so you're dealing with a team that has some size issues already. And when you throw Hunter Dickinson into the mix and then you got Caleb Houston uh, just roasting, you know, whoever was on him, that, I mean, that's just a recipe for success for Michigan uh, going against a team that's, frankly, they're undersized. It's funny when you look at Rutgers on paper, their starting lineup, they list four guards and a center. And uh, I can't remember I was seeing four guards at one time, but you know, I thought going into it, you know, Geo Baker and Ron Harper, they've really come into their own. Of course, Geo you know, Baker better have come into his own. This is his 15th year there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, him and Bohannon out in Iowa, I think they were there for the Clinton administration. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> And I'm not even going to make my Ray Rice Rutgers joke. Um, but, yeah, yeah, with four guards in the lineup, you think that that would be something that would favor them as you're going against a Michigan team. And Houston's not small, you know. It's not like he's a 6'5 guard, you know. He's, he's a taller wing player, but he is still a wing player. And you would 
think you would need to go a little bigger, get a guy like uh, Diabate, who, look, I, I had this talk. I said it. I think I said it when Sean was on. I think I said it when Anthony was on. I'm going to say it when you're on. Musa Diabate is the best player on that team for my money. I don't I don't care what anybody says. He's got the highest potential. He's got the biggest ceiling. Um, you know, you can sit there and you can give me Dickinson's numbers all you want. The guy, the guy seven foot one doesn't mean he's a great basketball player. And Diabate's got that ability to go outside. He's a good defender. And he he's going to be drafted higher than Dickinson if he leaves this year. And Absolutely. That, that's that's the way it is. And missing him and to get that win, I I I can't get over it. I was a little worried that we would see the road version of Rutgers, and we did. Um, Dickinson was steady, but I, I think Eli Brooks and Devontae Jones also had solid games, which really, really helped. Yeah, you have four guys in double figures. Jones might have had his best game. Yeah, yeah. Jones, yeah, Jones might have had his best game. Uh, were fantastic. Yep, yep. And Buffkin gave them a little bit off the bench. Uh, they didn't go terribly deep, or at least with production that game. But those four that I mentioned, and, and John's, it's not going to show up in the uh, the stat category, but he was making hustle plays. He was keeping possessions alive, tapping balls out to guys, resetting the shot clock, things that uh, they were desperately haven't been uh, having in the last few games. Yeah, that, and the, I mean, ultimately, that's, that's been the problem with both of these schools. Um, when when you look at it, is the lack of a physical presence, and Mich- Michigan's going to have that. And I mean, Diabate, like I said, he's coming into his own. But Hunter Dickinson, uh, for his size, um, he he doesn't give you that physical presence. And when you can drag him out on screens too, that just turns him in. <laughs> it turns him into a putz, really. Like, who cares that he's out there? And, I mean, you're, you're going to give up uh, threes or you're going to give up and ones because he can't keep up. And- His slow feet are getting exposed continually, and he should have left last year. You and I have talked about this before. And surely the NBA scouts are seeing this, and his draft stock is dropping by the minute, by the game. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is I think he should have came back. I, I, I thought he should have come back, but I thought he would have worked on something. And it's like, okay, you can occasionally hit a wide open three. That doesn't change anything. That's not what I said you needed to work on. You needed to lose a little weight. You needed to keep your strength. And you needed to you, your, you needed to fix your lateral quickness. I said it last year. I'm not going to – I don't – who knows what episode or what we were talking about the rest of the day where I was saying that. But I said that last year is if he comes back, it's not his jumper that needs work. It's lateral quickness and his lateral quickness is still complete trash. And so I'm, I mean, yeah, I mean, now that he hasn't improved it, it's easy in hindsight to go back and say, Oh, well, you you know, he should have went, but in, He's, he's got that opportunity to stay and work still. You know, um, he's if he stays, if he goes, I'm not 100% sure. You know, he's a 19-year-old kid, I think. And when you have it in your mind after one year, oh, I can go to the NBA, and then you come back for a second, 
and nothing changes, you're, you're a 19 year old kid who still thinks he can go into the NBA. And so who, who knows what he's going to do. I, I mean, I think it benefit him to just stay and try to lose weight and just completely redefine his game. But I mean, obviously we won't know how that's going to go until the end of this year and heading in to the draft. But yeah, to miss guys like the Abate, to miss a guy like Terrence Williams, who I think can, you know, cause some of those matchup issues for Ron Harper Jr. And to walk out with the win, um, I, like I said earlier, it's huge. And you, you and I have talked about it. We think Phil Martelli is ultimately the head coach anyways. And Juwan Howard's that figurehead who's just there to recruit. Um, but, you know, Martelli obviously did what he needed to do. And apparently Juwan Howard's not completely cut off from his team. And so he's sending messages and stuff like that. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes these next four games. Uh, Michigan, I think they've got to get one of their ranked games. I, I, I think they have to to have an opportunity for the tournament. You're in there now. You know, if something happened, you're probably, I'm not guaranteeing anything because the way the Big Ten works, you're probably going to lose to Illinois on Sunday. You get Michigan State on Tuesday. That's a game where now you've got an opportunity to win it the way Michigan State's just spiral, spiraling out of control, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I feel like you have to pick up one more of those ranked wins. And the things are falling in place for them. They have Iowa in Ann Arbor, and they finish at Ohio State, but Ohio State is as much of a mess as Michigan State is right now. So they could absolutely go into Columbus. I know it's senior day and, and last game of the season. It's not easy, but I could see it happening. I could see Michigan pulling that road win. Didn't Ohio State just beat Illinois? Ohio State okay. has kind of been up and down and, and floundered a little bit. Um, they're, they've lost to Iowa. Um, they, they beat Michigan the first time, obviously, at Chrysler. They did uh, pull off a three-point win at Illinois, so I guess I got to give them a little bit of credit. But yeah. they uh, they they're certainly not the world beaters that they they were. Well, kind of like Michigan State, that uh, they they could have been, and people were thinking they would be. Yeah, uh, let's let's turn our attention to Michigan. Uh, just completely slaughtered by Iowa the other day, and. I mean, I, here, here's the thing: is it's not like Tom is oh, oh suddenly forgot how to coach. It's not like he can't. Recruit. You look at the two five stars. Oh well, he lost Boakye. He lost. Uh, he lost Bates. Yeah, you're getting about 13 points combined between the both of them. Like he didn't miss out on. And so, it's not like he lost his ability to do. I think there's obviously. A couple of issues. We'll talk about the lineups and stuff like that again uh, with Michigan State. But when I, Iowa does two things well, it's run and go. <laughs> like, those are the two things. And they were chunking threes, and there was always a late end up. It was basic closeout stuff that Michigan State wasn't doing. And it's not like Thomas you know, teaches it very, very well. Um, Michigan State, I think, is one of the better uh, three-point defensive teams in the country. 
obviously that was before the Iowa game. Um, and they've had their they weren't put they weren't putting their hands up like that was that to me indicates that this is an effort thing and this is this isn't an effort thing with Izzo it's an effort thing with the players. It is unacceptable for Gabe Brown, Joey Hauser, and Marcus Bingham to, you know, they between the three of them, they had a double-double all together collectively. That's pathetic. I know Gabe Brown's struggling. I know it's kind of in his head. It, it's it, it's one of those things I, I don't want to rip on the kid because, you know, he's he's ultimately wants to succeed. But and, and I, I've been reading some stuff where he's been trying to reach out to his teammates. He's trying to get through this funk or <laughs> the yips or whatever you want to call it. Um, and Hauser, Hauser cares. You can see it. He plays with heart, but it, it's a lack of skills that sometimes make the, the, the hustle plays of his be diminished, but we can't expect a, a million things out of Max Christie. And, and he even said as much if, if you've had a chance to see some of the comments that he made, I think he's hitting that freshman wall. The, the guys who need to lead this team are these upperclassmen and they are not doing it. They, they definitely aren't. And you know what? Brown is probably the biggest problem. When you look at it. I mean, Joey Hauser did an okay job on Keegan Murray, but who's, you know, in the running for a big 10 player of the year. Um, but I, I don't, he went, what, 0 for 7 against Iowa? And he did hit a shot right before halftime. After the buzzer. Excuse me. After the buzzer. And I was like, you know what? Maybe just seeing the ball go in the hoop <laughs> is something that's going to, you know, fire him up for the second half. And I think he only took like three shots. He missed them all, airballed one of them. Um, just a complete disappointment. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to break this down uh, the way I did for, you know, the kids I coached this past year. You know, you dream up and you, you know, leave three little spaces in there, right? And you draw an arrow to each thing. And up top, it's defend. You know, defend, rebound, run, ultimately. Defend, lead to rebound, lead to run. Mm -hmm. Your best post defenders on the team are Malik Hall and Julius Marble. They're not starting. It's an absolute travesty that Malik Hall doesn't start for this team. Malik Hall, Julius Marble, also, the two best rebounders on the team. So... Michigan State is having issues, and then you rebound, you get that opportunity to run. Michigan State can't put points on the freaking board, and so you've got to get your points in transition. You do all of that. You can fix literally all three of those phases by changing the lineup, and th this is what I mean. You got you got to be able to defend. Um, that's putting in marble and that's putting in hall, you know, that changes your post defense and you can say what you want. Oh, well, big, um, you know, block shots, all that type of stuff. Block shots isn't playing defense, you know, um, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot of positioning, especially in the big 10. You've got, you can't sit there and let the guys just post up on the block and then try to expect your seven foot frame to be enough, especially against guys like Coburn, against guys like Dickinson and against guys like, 
Zach Eady, who Michigan State's going to see tomorrow. You know, you, you can't do that. And so you've got to put Marble in, and you've got to play him 30 minutes a game. If he can stay out of foul trouble. Marble, if he can stay I out love of his aggressiveness, but sometimes it's the cup spill over. Yeah, and that's where Bingham can come in handy. I mean, that's where that's why you have a shot blocker coming off the bench. But I think he's done better with his foul trouble. I think he's getting a couple bogus ones just because of the physical nature of the post players in the Big Ten. And so, I mean, I think he's – the thing is, is obviously he's doing a billion times better than last year as far as that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so you put in marble. You put in Hall. Oh, by the way, both of those guys – your two best post-offensive players. And Malik Hall might be your best player, period, in regards to the offensive end, uh, just with the versatility and the things that he can do. And so that might help you uh, through your scoring slumps a little bit. And then you'd have a guy like Hauser come off the bench and pop a couple threes from a bench roll where where something like that is more considered unexpected. So you play Marble and Hall 30 minutes. The small forward spot, bench Gabe Brown. You can try to get more points off the bench from him, and maybe that will be something that will wake him up. Uh, you, you know, you put in Christie. Um, that means you put in Akins as your two. Again, helps with your defense, helps with your rebounding. Gabe Brown gave up three offensive rebounds because he didn't box out. His man didn't necessarily get the rebounds every time against Iowa, but – they poked it away from Marble, and somebody else was able to corral it, and things like that. Akins is a better rebounder, despite the size di- difference, and especially the difference with the wingspan and everything else. So you put in Akins, and then you got to play Tyson Walker because, frankly, Tyson Walker is one of two players on the team that can shoot right now outside of Malik Call. Mm-hmm. You put that in. AJ Hogart is fast. He's a bulldozer type. He's a change of pace type guy. He's, he's perfect for that role. He's a big physical defender for a point guard. You know, and then Keon Coleman, Gabe Brown off the bench as your wings because Coleman's provided a spark, I think, when he's in as far as getting after the boards, which, again, Michigan State, the things that they've sucked at this year is the stuff that they've normally done well, defense and re- defense and rebounding. And these are the guys, the Coleman's, the Aikens, and the marbles and halls that are going to get you those things. And even though Coleman's a little bit of a lost puppy on defense, he he busts his butt out there, and you've got to have that type of energy. And then, obviously, you know, I talked about uh, what you do in the post as far as your bench goes. Like, I honestly think that that's – it's not the fix because you don't have that guy who can single-handedly take over a game in the basketball it's big to have one, at least one guy like that. Um, but you put in your best guys overall. You put in your best offensive players or your best defensive players at the same time. They're your best rebounders um, outside of the Walker and Hogart swap. But you got to have somebody in there who can score. So I, I think that that's how you roll with this, right? I mean, an exception may be tomorrow because Zach Eady's seven foot four, but it's almost like this becomes the elementary math edition of trouble with the snap. Number ten needs to play about ten minutes. Gabe Brown four plus four eight. 
number 44, you should be getting about eight minutes a game at this point. If you, if your shot is that broken, get to the rack, get to the rim, get high percentage looks. Then we can talk about something else. When the game's on the line at this point, who's taking the shot? If it's not new starter Malik Hall, it should be Tyson Walker. Tyson Walker has seen the ball go through the net many, many times in his career. It may not have happened in East Lansing yet, but we've seen flashes of it. That's the, those have to be your go-to. At the guys end of that right Illinois game. Yeah, 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 and and that's what I'm saying. I think Walker needs 30 minutes. Christie still needs 30. Um, I don't you know, think he can play his... 30. I, 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 I that would be great <sighs> if he could, but I think 20 to 25 right now is going to be his max. He's he's up against it. He's okay. he's frail. Okay, so and... let me say it like this: split it with Gabe Brown. Yeah, split with Brown. Because Christie's the three in my uh, hypothetical lineup that I would love to see. So split it with Brown. Sure. Brown, I can, I can your... go with that. I'm not Dwayne Stevens, though. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. And, I mean, that that's ultimately what I want to see is I want to see Walker play 30. I want to see Christie play 25. Maybe Brown would play the 15 off the bench in place of him. Um, I think Hall needs to play 30. Mm-hmm. And if you can get – two or three threes out of Hauser or eight points out of Hauser, seven points out of Hauser in 10 minutes because you're still drawing a place for him. I don't um, know. You're I, asking for a lot. He put in a whole two points in 17 minutes the other night. Yeah. And <laughs> I think part of that, I think part of that though is just the lineup. They don't know where they're going with it and they don't know, like nobody's looking to attack the rim and, Anything like that outside of Hogart, who sometimes he's going 100 miles per hour when he only needs to go 80. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to play marble 30 minutes because uh, Bingham had Bingham can block shots, but that's about all he can do right now. I don't. And, I don't think Christie can give you 30 because of of his stamina right now, and I don't think Marble can give you 30 because of his his foul prone nature. And and in those situations, you have guys like Bingham and Brown, who can come off the bench and fill their role, which is what those guys have done their entire career. I have faith that Tom Izzo will follow through with what he said. Uh, Recently, he told, I think it was the Detroit News or Free Press, that he's going to shake up the status quo, unquote. Okay, well, if sometimes during this time of the year you shorten your bench, you need to right now, and you need to take a couple of these guys, Brown, Hauser, and, and, and park them for a while because they're not getting it done. Put the energy guys out there, like a Coleman, like all these guys that we've been talking about. I think they're going to get you through. Yeah. And, I mean, that, that's what the program was built on. And, I mean, ultimately it sounds like we're building from scratch again. But there's talent on this team. There is not. There was never enough to win the Big Ten. Right. You know, th- this was a team that could have finished fourth in the Big Ten, though. The talent is there to finish fourth in the Big Ten. It's just a matter right now of getting it to blend and you're mixing in a billion different lineups and Aikens takes a bad shot. So you pull him and he doesn't see the floor the rest of the game. Gabe Brown takes a bad shot and he gets to play 25 minutes. And it's what's the difference other than the fact that Brown's been there longer. Brown's a worse rebounder and a worse defender than Aikens on the floor. (laughs) The staff is being overly loyal to some of the upperclassmen. And you look at this senior class, you know, look who's not there anymore. Look who is there and look who's not producing. 
the the production what limited uh, it, it's coming is coming from the freshmen, the sophomores, a um, little bit from the juniors, but the seniors are, are kind of a mess. And, and Tom needs to check his loyalty to, to these guys and say, listen, I love you, but you're, you're not getting it done for us. Yeah. And look, there's nothing wrong about talking about the flaws of this team because there's plenty of them. And I don't like to see, players like AJ Hogard come out and say what he said saying the fans are turning on you the fans are not turning on you the fans know what you're capable of you showed us at the beginning of the year what you're capable of you've competed with some big boys and you've beat some really good teams and that's what we expect but like I said, when you look at Iowa, it's clear-cut lack of effort. Gabe Brown missed his box out three times, and he didn't go to the bench, even though he couldn't buy a basket. So he's not rebounding. He's not shooting. Defensively, he gives you a little bit of length, but I'd rather have Akins in there. And so th- this is where I'm at with it, man. It- it's not bad to s- – like, no one's turning their back on Michigan State. Are they stopping? Are they, you know, going to stop watching? You know, a few of them, a few state fans are. Are they going to stop rooting for you? No, that's never going to be the case. You're not going to sit there and root for a tournament streak to end like this. And so they're not turning their backs. They're realizing that when you go out there and you don't put your hand up against a team that does one thing well in shooting threes. Then it's an effort thing. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't care. That's a problem. It's not that the Michigan State fans don't care. It's that the players don't. And, there, I mean, like I said, there's a couple that do. Guys like Christie do. Guys like Hogard do. Gabe Brown doesn't care. It, Marcus it, Bingham doesn't care. How are you seven foot tall? You can't get eight rebounds a game. With him, it's going to come back to the COVID story. And uh, it's hard to say, you know, what he feels like. I mean, you've had COVID. I believe that I did. You know, that is he still not up to 100%? Is his lung capacity struggling? I do think there's some truth to that, but that can't be – the lead every single time. No. And you've had good games since then, so it's not a situation where, oh, I feel better from COVID. Oh, now I feel like crap. Mm-hmm. And you, you can't flip the story like that. Agreed. And, and, and that's where the problem is. As far as Hogarth's comments go, I mean, I, I remember being a young college athlete too, obviously at a much smaller school. But I think he's a young, fiery guy. And sometimes those guys get that, you know, chip on the shoulder, me against the world. And I hope he does. I hope that if he's if he's ticked at the fan base, that somehow that lights a fire under him to take his game to another level. If you think people are bagging on you, you think people are dissing on your game. Well, they might be what you're going to do about it. Yeah. And here's the thing is. I feel bad because I still don't want him to play all the minutes he's getting i don't want him starting over walker because walker's our only shooter i you know and if it's a lineup where it's hogard 
and Walker and Christie in the starting lineup instead of, you know, Hogarth instead of uh, in my uh, hypothetical lineup that I like. If that's the situation, then so be it. I'm fine with that, too, as long as Walker's on the floor because we need somebody who can freaking shoot. And I think Christie's shot's going to come back to him. Gabe Brown, I think, is done. Malik Hall, he can... He's been shooting the lights out still when he takes his shots. You know, he it's just nobody ever looks for their shots on this team. And then Marble's the most efficient post player that we have, and that's not a bad thing. I think that's the way he's played, the way he's stepped up. And sometimes he goes up for these hook shots, and I'm like, dude, you're shooting this from 12 feet away. What are you doing? And he still gets it to mm-hmm. fall. Yeah. And so if you play those guys, you can get your offense going. But you have so. to be willing to play them, and you've got to play them a lot. And like I said, when you put in Hall and Marble, yeah, Hall got eaten alive by Keegan Murray, but it's not like he wasn't contesting stuff. He was one of the few players that were. And so when you do that, you improve your offense, you're improving your defense, and you're improving your rebounding by putting in those three guys. And I I think that's absolutely huge, and I would love to see that happen. And A.J. Hogarth is the type of captain who I eventually see. I eventually see him being a captain. And it's not because he's so skilled, and obviously I would love for him to develop a jump shot so people stop uh, running five feet under screens and meeting him on the other side before they, you know, before he has an opportunity to shoot. I would love for him to develop that jumper. But he's one of these guys who I can eventually see as a Xavier Tillman type, as a Mateen Cleaves type of captain, where he's going to sit there, he's going to grab you around the neck, he's going to throw you up against a locker, he's going to cuss you out for not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Those aren't the guys that I would compare him to, and and I know you're going to cringe as soon as I say this, because defensively he's not there. He reminds me of a Travis Walton. Whereas Walton was a lockdown defender, Hogard has that the skill of getting north and south to the basket. It's a trade-off. Neither one of those guys had a great jump shot. Neither one of those guys were complete players, but they were tough. No, and I I wasn't comparing them. Yeah, I I get what you're saying. Game, but their leadership. Like I remember Tillman blocking a shot and then running right after Gabe Brown and cussing him out in front of everybody while the ball was dead. Because Brown blew his assignment, and that's what I see Hogarth doing eventually. Yeah, I just didn't want you to uh, to throw up in your mouth when I said that he was like Travis Walton, because obviously he can't defend anywhere near like uh, Walton could. But the leadership is similar. Or could yeah, be. and and Hogarth and Hogarth potentially can defend like Walton, just given his quickness and given his size and his strength. Like he he's still a tough matchup for any point guard in the Big Ten, mm-hmm. and so. If you know if he develops that jumper to where you have to respect him, then he can blow by whoever he freaking wants. And I think that that's something that is going to be huge uh, moving forward in his career. But he needs to sit there and he needs to take whatever venom he had towards the fans and he needs to put that on his teammates because they're the guys who need their attitudes checked, not the fans. Right. But uh, yeah, we'll uh, wrap it up here. I will be back on Monday. I'm not sure who the co-host is going to be yet. We'll make that decision as we get a little closer. Michigan State and Purdue tomorrow at noon. Michigan and Illinois. 
these aren't must wins, but I tell you what, man, as far as the tournament hopes for both of these teams and Michigan State's trying to avoid that 7-10 or 8-9 spot, both of these games are absolutely huge. And so we will be back to cover that on Monday. Chris, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having um, me. Yeah, really appreciate it. Love having you on, mostly because we think almost identically. So sorry, Jeremy, you're gonna no have to come conflict. on and clean this up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I am Tyler Hayward. This was the trouble with the snap. <laughs>